Amen. And may that be our prayer, that in our church, in our worship, in all that we say and do, it brings honor and glory to the name of Jesus, the one who gave us life, that we might have life in his name. So we glorify his name today. I have a question for you before we get to our scripture text in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. More of a rhetorical question. I won't make you raise your hand, but did anybody run this morning? Okay, just think about that. Not run late, but run this morning. Um, You know, there are people who run for fun. They run just because they enjoy it. I am not one of those people. But you need a motivating factor. There are also people who run to get in shape so that perhaps they are building their cardiovascular system or maybe they're wanting to um, just get their body overall in shape better and they're running. But typically there's a motivating factor for that person to just get up and run because it was hot this morning, even early morning. It was very warm outside. So there has to be a motivating factor. You know, a few years ago, I entered into the world of the Apple Watch watch. Okay, some of you I've seen, uh, even this morning, I saw a few of you had these on your wrist there, and there's a reason for this watch. It tracks your uh, movements. It tells you how many calories you've burned. It tells you um, you, when you need to work out, and believe it or not, it actually tells you when to stand up. If you've been sitting down too long, it it, it pings your little wrist, and it says, uh, hey, you've uh, been a little bit too lazy. Why don't you stand up for a minute? But when I got one, it didn't take long. Both of my brothers got a Apple Watch, and um, now there's a little contest. There's a motivating factor to see, okay, my oldest brother, he's up at 5 a.m. working out, and then me and my other brother, we don't get up quite as early, but it notifies you, if you allow it, it notifies people that you're connected with of your uh, uh, workout, how many calories you've burned, and how long you've been sitting down for that particular day. There's a motivating factor that goes along with it. You know, I'd wake up and put it on, it would tell me, my oldest brother had just worked out at five in the morning. And so it would say, Jason just finished a workout. And then once my other brother, his name is Kevin, got an Apple watch, he used to joke and say, yeah, I woke up. It said, Jason has finished a workout. Andrew has finished a donut. So uh, that was me. That's how I used my Apple watch right there. But the reason for it is there's a motivating factor. And it's hard to make a change in our lives unless we're looking ahead to that change, the end result of the change that we are trying to accomplish. And as I read through Ephesians chapter 4, I look at the last verse of the text this morning that we have, and it's uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16, and I think that's the motivating factor for the change that Paul is trying to invoke in the church as he's writing the book of Ephesians. And so uh, before I read through the entirety of the text, I want us to look at Ephesians 4 16. It says, from whom the whole body, it's just, it's just talked about Christ as the head of the church, as we just heard in prayer and in song. And, and, and so he is the head from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Those of us in Christ this morning, I think if we were being honest, we might would agree that our desire is to see the body of Christ built up, to see it grow in love and building itself up and to see it grow both in our own lives and our own walk with the Lord, but also to see it grow in that others would come to know and come to saving faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we start with verse 16. That is the motivating factor 
as we read through this text, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, which I'll read through now. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then that motivating factor, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Would you pray with me? Father God, this is your word and we are grateful for it. We are thankful that we have it to learn from, to grow to hear and to obey, Lord. I pray your spirit would open our eyes to the truth of it today, Lord. And I pray in this time that you might increase, I might decrease. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So looking at Ephesians chapter four, I always look at like sections of text that start with the word therefore, because in writing it's, it's taking what has come before it and it's saying you've heard all of this, you've, you've, you've read about these great truths that you see in chapter one, two, and three, and now it's the re, our response to that. I believe every time that we read God's word, if it's just for a brief devotional reading in the morning, if it's just one particular uh, scripture verse that we've memorized that just stays in our heart with us, or if it's reading an entire uh, a larger uh, text in God's word, there is always a response. There's always the believer, those in Christ, there is always a way to respond and to do something. You never read God's word and you just say, well, that was nice and then go about your way. The intent of it is to change you and to change your actions, to change your will, to change your mind and even your attitude on things. And so as we see that word, therefore, we see the very, the first three chapters of Ephesians are pointing out these beautiful doctrines of the faith, beautiful truths of scripture that we know and we can claim in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter one, we see that there's an inheritance for us in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit has promised that we will have come upon us. What a great promise we see reiterated in chapter one. And then in chapter two, uh, I love verses one through 10 in chapter two. There's no greater explanation of our, the change that happens when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians two, verses one through 10, we see that we were once dead in our trespasses, but God being rich in mercy 
And because of the great love with which he loved us, he changed us even when we were dead in our trespasses. Verse 8 of chapter 2, thy grace you have been saved. And then verse 10, telling us that therefore we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had prepared in advance for us to do. What great truths of the scripture. And then Ephesians 3 brings it all together and say, there's just this mystery how Jew and Gentile, how all the nations, all the people groups of the world can come together and be one and united in Christ. Therefore, as verse 11 tells us, giving us boldness in our access uh, access to God through faith in him. And then in verse 20 and 21, we see as as Paul just kind of gives this great explanation of the doctrines of the faith, he says, and now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. And then he says, therefore. And so with that end goal in mind that the glory of Christ Jesus will be made known, not just here and now, but ongoing for generations, continuing to go forth and and generations to generations with that goal in mind, he says, therefore. In verse 1, a prisoner for the Lord, very literal as Paul is writing this, a literal prisoner for the Lord. He's saying, you are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And, and, and I pause right there because we could stop right there and we could unpack what does that look like to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And we could spend months and months talking about exactly what it looks like, I think, to be a faithful follower of Christ. What is that calling to be Christ-like, to uh, emulate him in all that we do. The Bible tells us, be holy as I am holy. And so to follow him is to try in all that we can say and do and think to look like Christ. And then verse 2 explains that a little more with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Let's stop right there with verse 2. I mean, just looking at those words There's no one else that that verse 2 is talking about other than Christ Jesus our Lord. What does this manner look like of walking in him? First, walking is an active word. It's not saying we are sitting in a manner worthy of the calling. It's not saying that we are just resting in a manner worthy of the calling. We are walking. We are actively taking part in the calling that he has given us in our life. And, And what does that look like? It's with humility. And as I said, this is describing Jesus. We know Jesus uh, gave up heaven for the cross. He is the ultimate example of humility. Continuing on in verse 2, it says, With gentleness, Jesus tells us, Come to me because I am gentle. Or another word, another way to describe that, maybe self-controlled, that Jesus is just uh, saying and, and it's describing him in this text. And then patient. What greater example of patience than the scripture we find in Romans chapter 5, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were separated, while we were at enmity and at conflict with God in our sin, he still died for us. He is patient. And then bearing with one another in love. And the way, a very simple way I like to think of that is we are putting up with each other. Believe it or not, every person is different, right? We have different uh, likes and dislikes. We have different personality traits. But yet he's saying in the body of Christ, 
We are to bear with one another in love. And again, in a very simple way, we are to just, we are to put up with each other and recognize all of us are different. We have different backgrounds, different desires, but yet in Christ, we are one and we are brought together. There's a reason we can gather in a setting like this from all different walks of life, from all different areas, from, uh, uh, from some from this area, some from outside who have moved here, some may be visiting today, some uh, you know, different age groups and different family uh, stages of life as well. But yet in Christ, we can gather and we can sing songs such as in Christ alone, because he is the only one that can bring the body of Christ together, united in him. And that is our calling that we are representing Representing that unity that comes in Christ to the world around us. As a church, we are representing that unity. And why? Not because we all like the same thing or are doing the same thing or have the same, even the same desires and hearts, but we have the desire to see the name of Jesus glorified. And so we can say we are one in Christ Jesus as we do all of those things listed in verse 2, eager, verse 3, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, it's not peace for peace's sake. There are places in the world where we need peace for peace's sake and peace's sake alone, but we need peace in the church for the sake and the name of Jesus to go forth. Because if we are, are claiming the name of Jesus, but yet in our church we don't have peace and we don't have unity, then we are no different than the world, and we are not demonstrating the difference that Christ can make in our lives. And even Ephesians 2.14 even tells us that he himself is our peace. So if we're looking for peace in anywhere else but Christ, we're looking in the wrong place. And so as a church, we are together, we are unified in Christ Jesus, and it unpacks it a little more in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are one body in Christ's church. He is the head of the church. We are one spirit, for it's the spirit that comes within us and creates that particular unity. We have one hope. There is hope in no other name but Jesus. Our common hope is in Christ Jesus. While once we were without hope, in Christ we have hope. We have one Lord. We have one confession of Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. One faith that's found in Christ and Christ alone. One baptism as we are spiritually baptized into Christ. One God and Father as we are adopted, his adopted children. We share the same Father. And again, there's a reason that we can gather together. Regardless of where we've come from, regardless of the path life has taken us to get here on this particular Sunday morning and worship in this particular sanctuary, that we can gather and sing praises to the name of Jesus and glorify his name. It's because we are brought together one in Christ. And so the title of this morning's message, The Church at Work Serving Together, we see that the church at work first and foremost demonstrates unity in Christ. And again, if we're seeking unity in anything else, then we simply become a club of those who have a common interest. But rather, if we're seeking unity in the name of Jesus and in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we can gather and we can say this is more than just a group of people with a common interest. This is a group of people bonded together in the Spirit. 
and in Christ Jesus. So the church at work demonstrates unity, but you know, unity does not mean sameness, okay? Unity does not mean we are identical, each person. Unity doesn't mean that every single person looks and says the same thing and does the same thing, has the same desires. While there's unity in Christ, there is diversity in giftedness within the church. And so while the church at work demonstrates unity, the church at work also demonstrates diversity in giftedness. As we see in verse seven, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Yet there's a reason that the scripture uses in in more than one place a, a comparison of the church to a body. Not just the body of Christ as in a a group coming together, that being a body. It's comparing it to a literal body. And as you know, as your body works, all the parts of your body work together to, uh, to, to be able to send signals to your brain so then your brain can control and tell the rest of your body how to move and, and also knowing when you need to eat and, and when you need to sleep and when you need to drink. And it, it, it all works together. And, and if one little part of the body gets off or it gets uh, messed up or or broken or not working as it should, it can throw off all sorts of other connections in your body. The same is true in the body of Christ. If each of us doesn't first recognize and know what our role is in the church, but then second, do it to the glory of God, then it's going to mess up the function of the church and the purpose that God has given to the church in general. And so the the church demonstrates diversity because not every person in the church And this is talking about the church, the local church here as this body called First Baptist, but also the universal church of all believers throughout the world. If not everybody recognizes their own gift in Christ Jesus uh, and given in that uh, based on your faith in Christ Jesus, then the, the body's not going to function as it should. Something's going to get, get messed up. Something's not going to work as it should in demonstrating the glory of Jesus Christ to those in the world around us. And so how important it is to know that each of us has been given a gift, a grace gift according to the measure of Christ's gift. You say, well, I, I don't have a gift. I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Christ. I don't have a gift. The Bible says that that as a follower of Christ and placing your faith in him, he has given you a gift to be used for his glory. And therefore, your life, your, uh, your, uh, how you live your life, what you do with your life is a matter of stewardship of the giftedness that he's given you. And that gift is not based on your own strength or your own ability. What's it say in verse 7? It's according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so your giftedness to serve in the church and serve the, the, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and serve in the ministry he's called you isn't based on what you can do. It's not based on your own merit or your, even your own work and effort. It's based on the grace of God and the measure of Christ's gift. So think of that. The giftedness you have in Christ Jesus is not for, uh, based on you. It's based on, on the gift that Christ has given us and giving up his life and sacrificing his life on the cross, living the perfect life, therefore, as the only holy and acceptable sacrifice, him giving his life and then being raised from dead, showing victory over sin and death on the third day, that the, the measure of his gift is the same measure of the giftedness in your own life. That's the source of the power you have. And you can follow, you can use that for his glory, not for our glory, 
not for the glory of each person sitting here, not even for the glory of First Baptist Church, but for the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord. And each of us are gifted in that way. We're serving God together to accomplish his great call. As it says, walk in the manner worthy of the call that he has given you, accomplishing his great call on your life to be focused on the ministry and even the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the measure of Christ's gift in our own life. He has given you that not for your purposes in your life, but for his purposes in her life that his name might be made known. Then verse 8 and 9 and, and 10 kind of go off on, a, on what might seem like a separate thought, but it's, it's a very connected thought, and we're not going to go through every single word in those verses as we go through and, and, uh, and, and unpack every detail. But I want you to see, as he's describing in chapter 8 and 9, I want you to describe the picture that is being used here and the, 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 the comparison and the, even the symbolism that's being used. It quotes from Psalm 68, which is a victory, psalm, a psalm of victory in battle. And, and these words and this comparison that's being used, it's, it's showing the picture of a, a king who's gone off to war, and, and he's triumphant, and he's victorious, and, and, and he's coming back to his people, and he has the spoils of war, whatever that might mean, if that's, if that's treasures, if that's land, if that's whatever it might be that he's coming back with. He's coming back to his people after, uh, after being victorious in battle, and he's saying, I'm sharing the spoils of victory. I'm sharing the spoils of this victory in war with the people with my kingdom. And so we imagine a victorious king, King Jesus, who's triumphant. He's conquered sin and death and hell and Satan and the grave and all that comes with it. And our victorious king has come to give gifts to his people for the sake of his name being made known. It's a victory. It's a, it's, a, it's a symbol of victory. And so the giftedness in your life is a symbol and it's representative of the victory that Christ Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. And, and he's, he goes off in verse 9 with this kind of a parenthetical thought just for a minute, but more or less he's, he's referring as he talks about descended, he's talking about the incarnation of Christ Jesus, ascended, the ascension of Christ Jesus. But all of that, without going into too many details, it's simply affirming that Christ Jesus Jesus is Lord, and he's Lord of all, and he is the only one who is able to give us that giftedness and to, to share those spoils of that victory in war and to share it with his people for the sake of his name being known and for the sake of our own affirmation that Christ Jesus is Lord. In verse 11, how does he share these gifts? How are these gifts distributed within the church? It starts to describe a few specific roles, and without getting into uh, confusion with exactly what each of these roles means, more or less he's describing, he's, he's showing how he's given some to the church to be in specific leadership and guidance roles within the church. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. There's a variety of leadership gifts and roles, and we're going to talk through 11 and 12 and how those kind of two verses connect a little bit together 
together. But if specifically verse 11, we, we see talks of the apostles. We know very literally as he's saying this, he's talking about the 12, those who were with Jesus. And, and he, he gave that as a very specific gift and role in starting the church. And their goal, their, their, uh, uh, kind of their role as, as, as the ones who would, uh, where the church was never known before, as, as the church of Jesus Christ at least was never known before, their role was to start that, to, to begin that process. Then the prophets, think of that more as forth tellers, not foretellers, not necessarily telling the future, but proclaiming God's word for a very specific time, a very specific people and purpose. And evangelists and shepherds slash pastors, teachers, many times those two are, are, are brought together, shepherds and teachers, into that role of pastor. But all of those roles that are given as gifts to the church are all are faithful to the gospel and its proclamation, maybe in slightly different ways, but they're all the, is the goal, the end goal is that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed. And so in the church, as we look throughout, there are gifts in each of us and roles for each of us to serve in the church. And it might look different for you and for me. It might look different for each of us, but how we do that. But what's most important is to know that we are serving in Christ Jesus, that we are serving him that for the faithful proclamation of the gospel. So the church at work demonstrates unity, but the church at work also demonstrates diversity and giftedness. And finally, the church at work demonstrates service in ministry. As I said, as you read scripture, there's never a time that you're left and you say, well, that was a nice thought but there, shouldn't, there should never be a time where there's not a change in your heart and a change in your desires and a change in your desire to faithfully walk, as verse 1 tells us, in the manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We should always look and say, now what do I do? Now what, God? What do I do with your word, how your spirit has revealed the truth of your word to me? So verse 11 is kind of uh, uh, mid, stops mid-sentence as we transition to verse 12, but we see the purpose of those leadership and, and uh, the gifts of, of leadership roles in the church. The purpose of that, what is that in verse 12? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You know, in the church, there are certain leaders and there's, there are teachers, there are pastors, there are different roles within the church. But the Bible never says those are the only ministers of the gospel. As a matter of fact, the Bible, if we take the comprehensive teaching of the Bible, specifically the New Testament, if we look around at each of us who are, have faith in Jesus Christ and are following him, we are all called to be a minister of the gospel of Christ. You may have seen it at a church before. They might list their staff, but then it says all the members are ministers. Have you ever seen that before? I've seen churches phrase it that way to know each person in the body of Christ has a role to play, and it's a ministry role for the cause of the gospel. It's a ministry role that the name of Jesus would be proclaimed, that the church would be operating as it should and functioning together as it should for only one purpose and one purpose alone, the glory of Jesus Christ. And so he, every member has a, a job, a role to do in our church leadership, a goal and, and, and uh, a desire should be and an end goal should be that each person is equipped for the work that God has called you to do in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so there's action that goes along with this. Yes, the, the initiator of those gifts is Christ Jesus our Lord, but he's given to us that we might be stewards of the giftedness he's given us. 
So my question, and again, maybe a rhetorical question, but what are you going to do with what God has given you? What are you going to do? Because I believe with all my heart that if we are uh, sitting here, we are alive and we are living, there's breath in our lungs. God has a purpose and a reason for us to be here. And he has a ministry for you. And it's not just an off and on switch that we can, we can flip and say, well, well I, I, I've done this for a few hours this week, God, so, so I, I've, I've fulfilled the calling on my life. I've fulfilled the ministry you've called me. It's not something you can just flip on and off. It's a calling on your life. It's not a call, a part of, of, of your life. It's not a call to be a part of your life. It's a call on your life that it is being used as, a, as that you are a steward of your life and it's being, your life is being used for the glory of God. And not to build up your own self, not to build up and, and chase the dream that you might have for your life. While there's nothing wrong with chasing dreams and having goals ahead in, in your life and trying to fulfill those, the ultimate goal is to build up the body of Christ. And that's, again, that we might grow in Christ in our own faith, in our own walk with the Lord, but it's also that we might grow with the gospel in the name of Jesus being proclaimed, not just in our church, but to those in our neighborhood, those in our family, those who we work with, those whoever God has chosen to cross our path. It is a every second of the day, every day of the week, every week of the month, every month of the year call on our lives that we are living for the glory of King Jesus. As verse 13 tells us, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You say, well, how do you know it's an everyday thing? How do you know it's something that doesn't stop, you know, here and then start back up? Because verse 13 tells us, so, uh, 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 it tells us an end goal that's only going to happen one day in Christ Jesus, and that's uh, that we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And no matter how much we study and we learn, we will not know and have full knowledge of the Son of God until we see him face to face. And so our calling as a believer is an every single day, as long as we're alive here on this earth, to serve him with the giftedness that he has given us. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. As we're stronger in our faith, it allows you to combat that which the world might bring your way through, uh, through worldly desires, but also those within the church, maybe through improper teaching or through teaching that's not faithful to God's word might bring our way as we're using that, as we're serving in ministry, we are strong in our faith so that it's, it's serving in our individual walk with the Lord, but also corporately as a church, as a body of believers, there will always be those in Christ Jesus, certain characteristics of solid uh, foundational Christian characteristics being biblically based, theologically sound, able to discern truth from error. We see those things happening as the body of Christ is working together and demonstrating the call that God has placed again on us both individually, but also on us as a church. We see that strength happening and coming about. As we move forward there to verse 15, we, we start to see a conclusion of this section that Paul's writing in this letter to Ephesus in the book of Ephesians. 
and he sums up some of these ideas he's had and he makes sure i feel like he kind of gives us a concluding thought right here in the middle of chapter four to make sure that the context of what we've of, of, of which we've read verses one through 14 to make sure the context is appropriate and he says rather speaking the truth in love and i know speaking the truth in love that's another topic we could we could spend a, quite a bit of time on but let's look at the last part of verse 15 we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into christ into christ jesus he is the head of the church we must never forget that that there's no one who is above christ in our church there's no desire no effort that can be made that should be above christ he is always the head of the church he is the chief shepherd of the church and i'm speaking of the church locally this body of believers but also the church universal throughout the world but you know what too often we make ourselves the head. Too often, and you say, no, we would never do that. Why would I, I would never put myself ahead of Christ. And you might not say it, you might not write it down and say, I am ahead of Christ. But too many, too many times in our desires and what we want to do, we let our personal desires go and, and supersede the, the, the teaching of Scripture and, and what God has put in His Word for us in our life. Too many times we do that and it creeps in. Again, it's not something that we're like, well, of course I'm over Christ. We, no one would ever say that, but we let it creep in. And we see examples of it start to happen yeah yesterday there was a, a a devotional that that jasmine was reading and she knew the text and what i was preaching on today and she said you need you you need to read this and i read i said, wow god this was this was the july 30th yesterday's devotion and i i won't read the whole thing to you but i wanted to read this little section that really stuck out to me it says no one has been chosen to be just a recipient of the redemptive work of the kingdom no, everyone who has been chosen to be a recipient has also been commissioned to be an instrument of the work of that kingdom as well. There's none of us in Christ Jesus who have been chosen to be just a recipient. There's none of us who have been chosen just to be the one, oh, great, God, I've received your grace and your mercy. That's great. It's wonderful. Now, there's nothing we can do to ever repay for that grace gift that he gives us, but... We are commissioned then to turn around and be at work for that same grace, that same gospel that saved us. We are then turned around and say, God says, go to work. I've got a job for you to do. This message must go out. Sometimes we get comfortable being the recipient only, but the ministry of the church is for each of us. The ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ is for each of us. You know, sometimes we like to be in control of everything in our lives or everything we can be in control of surrendering is, is hard but you know when when jesus gave the great commission to his disciples at the end of matthew he did tell them to go and make disciples and that's important but remember the part at the beginning he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me the one who has the authority the power to equip us to do the work of ministry he has all that power and he's the one who's given us the giftedness he's the one in control and why do we do all these things? What is our goal in, in, in so showing unity and in, in showing diversity in our giftedness, but unity in Christ and then serving him? What is our goal? It's so that in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
What a prayer that could be for our church, that we are growing up in Christ, of course, but the body is growing in Christ so that we are building ourselves up in love, not so that we're coming together and, and, and we just have this great time of, of loving on each other and fellowship, which is great. That's a part of the role of the church. But the purpose of that is that the name of Jesus would be made known in our community and beyond. Go back to verse 1, that word walk an action word you talk you, another word for a christian is a follower of christ follower an action word there is there's a response to the wonderful beautiful gospel truth in our life but it requires action on our part that we might serve him in ministry, celebrating our unity in Christ, recognizing the diversity and giftedness in the church, but coming together and serving under the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we conclude our message, just a couple concluding thoughts. In chapter four, we see a beautiful picture, a perfect picture, if you will, of what the church, the body of Christ should look like. We see that, but we also see that as the body of Christ, there's a certain responsibility to respond in service and in ministry and serving our Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of his name and his name alone. I wanted to read you a quote, and I'll share with you where this quote comes from after I read it. But it was a book I found, and it was, it was something I found online as I was uh, Googling, I did all my, my good Google research before coming to First Baptist, and so I would Google search First Baptist Church, Rocky Mountain. I found this quote. But the future is not likely to hold any hope for the cessation of rapid change. So it is imperative that we learn how to meet it with equanimity, flexibility, and relaxed joy as we confront the enormous challenges. As the time comes ever nearer for the glorious return of our Lord, we must find new, innovative, imaginative, relevant ways to present the gospel to all people where they are. Time is of the essence. As millions die out of Christ, the king's business is urgent. We, his messengers, must not fail him. That comes from the ending of this book here. Some of you might be familiar with this. We Remember Our Heritage, written in 19, I guess right after 1976. It traces the history of First Baptist Rocky Mount from 1880 to 1976. And it ends with those words. Nearly 50 years ago, the heart of this church was recognizing the king's business is urgent. And I would tell you today that the king's business is just as urgent today as it was years ago, as it will be tomorrow, as it will be the next day. May we be ready and prepared as a church to present the gospel to all people where they are. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful that it teaches us, it instructs us, it grows us in our faith with you. Father God, I'm also grateful that you didn't just save us and forgive us of our sins, that we might just sit back and enjoy that and be passive about it, Lord. But no, you said that you are entrusting us with that message with that ministry, as we placed our faith in you. And Lord, we cannot do it alone. And if we try to do it on our own, we will fail. But Father God, help us today 
Help us to be obedient to your word. Help us to be a church that is at work for the name of Jesus Christ. Help us to be a church that would recognize the urgency of the task ahead of us and be ready that all people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They would see your church operating in unity under the banner of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Father God, help us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.